Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Coming Down the Pipes edition. It is Friday, September 8th, 2017, and I'm Janet French, the journal's education reporter and very sloppy substitute for your regular host, Emma Graney. In the newsroom, we also call this the, oh crap, who's going to do the podcast edition. (laughs) (laughs) I am joined in the newsroom studio today by three of my colleagues, city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Janet French. You're doing a great job so far. Ah! Legislative reporter Claire Clancy. Hello, thank you for having me. No worries. And deputy editor Dave Breckenridge. Yo. Yo. How's it going? <laughs> Dave posts a lot about rap on Facebook. I do. In his personal life. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's cool. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Trans Canada's move to delay filing applications to build the Energy East pipeline from our province to refineries in Quebec and New Brunswick. There was also a lot of political talk in and about schools this week, with the education minister hinting at a change in direction on the legislation that governs schools. UCP leadership candidates also had plenty of criticism for the government this week on the education file. But first, Paula Simons has some new poll numbers and some UCP membership sales data to share with us. Paula, what have you learned? What have I learned? Well, first of all, uh, there's a new uh, ThinkHQ uh, poll that came out uh, Friday morning. This was actually commissioned by Metro. Uh, But uh, what the poll shows, it is a poll of the general population. So not the people who are actually going to be voting in the UCP leadership race, but just regular old Albertans. And that's why it's really important to clarify this. The poll found that Brian Jean had 51% support as the new leader of the United Conservative Party versus Jason Kenney well back by almost 19 points at 32%. So huge support in the general population for Brian Jean over Jason Kenney. But that is a poll of voters at large. That is not a poll of people who have actually bought memberships in the UCP leadership race. So I've been really intrigued because, you know, lots of the coverage of this that I've seen so far this morning has been, oh, you know, Brian Jean has an insurmountable lead. Brian Jean has opened up this huge lead. It's like, no, if an election were held today amongst all the people in Alberta, more people in Alberta like Brian Jean than like Jason Kenney, but that is not who is voting in the United Conservative Party leadership race. And therefore, those figures, while interesting, uh, are a bit a bit misleading. I mean, I do not think that Brian Jean has opened up an insurmountable lead among UCP voters. Mm. And this leads me to my next point. 
Since this excellent Emma would have interrupted six times by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the shortest podcast ever. <laughs> Information obtained by the Edmonton Journal, as they say. I have, I have come into the possession of uh, UCP membership data from uh, which, which is as of the end of August. I think it's August 29th. So, of course, memberships are still being sold. This is still a moving target. Uh, but the numbers are really quite fascinating about what they say about the geographic schism in this province. Uh, of the memberships sold, 28,416 have been sold in Calgary versus 9,004 in Edmonton. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's about a quarter. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> So the most memberships have been sold in the, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it, suburban Calgary riding of Chestermere, Rocky View. Uh, would you call that, Dave? You're a former Calgarian. Yeah, would you it's, call it? it's uh, Chestermere, like Rocky urban. View. Yeah, it'd be kind of like Sherwood Park. Yeah. So they've sold 2,131 memberships in Chestermere, Rocky View. In Calgary Elbow, which is the next most, they've sold 2,039. Uh, whereas down, say, in... Edmonton Highlands Norwood, they've sold two, 276, not 2,000, 276. That's a lot uh, for a, for an NDP uh, yeah, so stronghold. Edmonton Glenora, uh, which was formerly, uh, you know, uh, Heather Klimchuk's riding, they've sold 437. There's, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Um, what it means is that when it comes time to cast the votes in the UCP leadership race, um, the votes from Calgary and uh, rural Alberta will vastly overwhelm the number of votes cast by people from Edmonton and Metro Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you add, like in Metro Edmonton, there are about 7,000. So even if you add Metro Edmonton and Edmonton proper, you still don't come close to what you have just in Calgary proper, never mind Metro Calgary on top of that. So Edmonton is really going to be shut out of the decision about who becomes the UCP leader. And I think that's very telling because it's it's all fine and good to say that Brian Jean is more popular than Jason Kenney with the general population. But I suspect that what these membership tallies suggest is that Jason Kenney is going to have uh, a cakewalk to, to the leadership of the party. What it's going to mean then in the long term is a more interesting question because I don't think Jason Kenney can pick up one single seat in Edmonton, maybe in Metro. I think Brian Jean could as leader Uh, pick up a a couple of seats in Edmonton and do quite well in Metro Edmonton. Mm -hmm. I mean, so potentially, you know, you could get to a hypothetical situation where if there were a hypothetical election and uh, Jason Kenney were the hypothetical leader and Jason Kenney became the hypothetical premier, um, he could have uh, a caucus with no people from Edmonton, which is what we saw with Klein in 1993, where there was not one single person from Edmonton or Metro Edmonton in Klein's cabinet. Hmm. Not a one. That, that's an interesting well it's interesting you point back to Klein because is that is he not one of Jason's big mentors or heroes so someone that he brings well, up quite frequently ostensibly his- now at the time because I am old enough to remember um <laughs> Klein and Kenny in fact did not get along and Kenny was quite a fierce critic of of Ralph Klein in, yeah. in mm. back in the back in the day uh, and since we're retconning history um and pretending that Klein was his was his mentor and idol well, he which is not he, true they name drops yeah. Klein a lot although, though. although yeah back in the 90s like without Klein we would not necessarily know the name Jason Kenny, or without the without the PC corpulence, is that the? Am I using that correctly? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let it be said, it wasn't that Jason Kenney was critical of Klein for being too right wing. It was yeah. it was the other way around. But yeah, so I think these numbers are very very telling about um, who who actually has skin in this game, who's actually going to be voting. Um, you know, I suspect that I can't tell you who showed me these numbers, but I. Su- I can tell you that the the Brian Jean camp would dearly love to be selling more memberships in Edmonton. And I imagine the Brian Jean camp wouldn't mind people reading this story that I'm about to write about this and saying, hey, you know, if you don't want Jason Kennedy to be the leader, you better buy a membership. But it's clear that the UCP is not exactly catching fire. And I have to say, even those Calgary numbers, I mean, in the most bedrock conservative uh, parts of the province, they're still only selling you know, memberships by the thousands, not the tens of thousands. This this is a race that's going to be decided by a very small number of people. Well, when you mentioned Calgary Elbow, that's um, where my family's from, and that's kind of Kenny country, right? Yeah. And you said 2,000 memberships? Yeah. Yeah. So well, just to be clear, though, they, I mean, even if you were, were, if you were a PC member or a Wild Roser member before, do you have to buy a UCP membership? Yes. Okay, so your old membership doesn't translate into your new membership. The, I mean, this is a merger of lists because people then bought memberships to vote in the in the merger referendum right and some people bought memberships in both parties to like so if there were a lot of people who are members of both parties so you can't just sort of like put say oh well, we're going to add up the the wild rose members and the pc members and then we get this many ucp members because then you would like some people had two memberships so yeah so you have to buy um new memberships now but i think the memberships just like transferred over okay so and are we seeing any elements of coup d'etat people who maybe want jason kenny to win because they perceive he's less electable anything like that in the past it's been like with the with the merger vote the all the talk was buy memberships to make this not happen um i I don't know but not many people did. I don't think there was a ton of uptake on it. And there's not necessarily... Kenny is seen as a front runner because he's such a good organizer. He doesn't need any help from leftists on Twitter or NDP <laughs> supporters yeah. to buy up a bunch of memberships to help him win. He's gonna If he wins, he's going to win on his own accord because he's a really good organizer. There were, That was the one thing that everyone mm-hmm. talked about in the PC leadership race and in the all the merger campaigning is you never can count Jason Kenny out because he's uh, he's got amazing ground game. And last week last week we talked about um, the uh, the fundraising efforts and how there were no rules yet for the UCP leadership race and then before the podcast was even posted they put out the rules and it was like ah anyway uh, and so um, I've gotten two emails I'm on the Jason Kenny mailing list I'm on all their mailing lists one of the emails I got this week said we need a hundred thousand dollars right away because it's very expensive and oh my goodness what are we gonna do and so uh, then I got an email last night saying we got the hundred thousand dollars we exceeded our goal you did it now we need sixty five thousand more dollars I know you can do it and then here's wow, here's just, all the tax it's, it's like a televangelist uh, fundraiser. Yeah, and it's like here's here's a chart of the of the credit you get. If you give me five dollars, you get three seventy five back. That's a buck twenty five. Do I get a tote bag? I didn't see that part. Do I get a, a coffee mug? I mean, if I give money to PBS, I get a you know I get a tote bag. So have we settled on a cost of what it is to enter the race? Well, it's my understanding uh, that there's a seventy five thousand dollar non refundable entry fee plus a $20,000 good conduct bond, uh, which I gather you don't get back if you have 
bad conduct. I'm not quite sure. Oh, behave. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure who is the arbiter of stay classy in this. Well, in it's, this. Not, it's not Derek Fildebrand. <laughs> or Alan or Hallman. Or Alan Hallman. Very true. But it's, it, it's funny, though. They talk. I know there's been criticism from camps in the party about the cost being prohibitive uh, for guys like Doug Schweitzer and Jeff Calloway. Um, it is kind of ironic that they talk about being a grassroots party, but for someone other than Jason Kenny to raise $95,000, it requires some big donors. Uh, Jason Kenny can probably do it on his own. Well, in a couple of days, in apparently. In a couple of days <laughs> with small money. It's interesting. Yeah. Our colleague Don Braid has a column uh, that's come out this week where he interviewed uh, a guy named James Trofimuk, who's a Calgary dentist who apparently was going to, says he was going to run for the leadership and now isn't because the price is too high. I mean, I could tell you also I was going to run for the leadership, but the price was too high. So was I. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how uh, how credible a campaign um, this guy was planning to mount. But uh, Don says he had a website. He had policies. He was, you know, seriously considering it. Uh, Did he have a fluoride policy? I don't know if he had a fluoride policy. He's a dentist. I'm hoping he had a fluoride policy. But uh, in Calgary, that might not have made him too popular. Maybe. But, uh, you know, it. that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to go and convince your friends and your family, knowing that only one of you is going to win. I mean, it's the worst lottery in the world. And that's just the entry fee. It's going to cost a lot of money to run the actual campaign. campaign. As short as it's going to be, it's still going to cost a few hundred thousand dollars per candidate it's mm-hmm. not you know it's a especially for the guys who want to take a run at kenny and gene and a twenty thousand dollar deposit for good conduct when you don't have rules how are you going to determine <laughs> good conduct in the uh, race <laughs> who knows well and, you know and then we're talking about a party that needs that needs some cash yes. so you know i mean i guess if you're a party that needs some cash you it's a good way you know i mean it's what the market will bear I remember this is the argument I had with my husband, who's you know much more of a fiscal conservative than I am, years and years and years ago about concert tickets, and uh, that's it's crazy amounts. And my husband said, if they can sell out the stadium at that price, then it is in fact the correct amount. And I guess that is the thing: if you can get candidates into your race who are credible candidates, then I guess it's not too high if that's if that's the method. But I'm not sure that the Ticketmaster pricing model is the one we want to be adopting in the political realm. In democracy. Well, I want to move on because I'm the education reporter and I'm in charge today. So we're going to talk about education. (laughs) Yay. Gosh darn it. Okay. So I want to move on to schools. Classes began at most Alberta schools this week or late last week, depending on where you are, which put education and school back in a lot of people's minds. There's 18 new school buildings opening uh, this fall, and two are a little bit later in January, in the Edmonton area. And on Tuesday, Premier Rachel Notley welcomed students to one of those new schools in St. Albert. And like many other times that she's spoken at uh, school-based events with students present, she did take an opportunity to take a few shots at her opponents. And uh, Claire, what did she say and how did some of her political foes react? Well, so basically, uh, Premier Notley, when she was speaking at the opening of um, of a new school, she kind of uh, took a chance to say that, um, you know, the UCP has been proposing reckless cuts to education, and it's kind of a line we've heard um, we've heard again. But um, Jason Kenney came out on the weekend with a video uh, posted to his Facebook page talking about how the Alberta Curriculum Review um, was lacking in uh, in Canadian history, Alberta history, military history. 
And so when Premier Nolly was speaking at the opening of the new school, um, reporters asked her, you know, how do you respond to the criticisms that this curriculum review is completely ignoring Canadian history, Alberta history, military history? And um, her response was to say that uh, that it's fear mongering. Um, the UCP is is taking this out of context because um, you know David David Egan also explained that the contents of the curriculum have actually not been decided. Um, so really, it's just been this back and forth between both of them over over these kinds of things. And it's the NDP have been saying what they've been saying forever, which is, you know, reckless cuts on the side of UCP uh, to teachers classrooms. And and we're building new schools and, um, you know, 50,000 kids are going into new or refurbished classrooms thanks to the NDP. This keeps coming back, though, right? Yeah. We keep hearing these these critiques, particularly it's in Brian Jean's education platform as well. But from right. Jason Kenny, he's had several social media videos put out there, you know, making some allegations about what the curriculum will or will not contain. Well, considering that there, there is no curriculum yet, I mean, it was just, I mean, the broadest of bromides that came out, right? I mean, he's, it, it's the ultimate straw man that he set up. The other ultimate straw man is, of course, all the people clutching their pearls about, oh, Rachel Notley used children as a prop and a backdrop at a political event, which is something that every premier has done in this province since, you know, since since the beginning of the Ice Age. I thought yeah. that was interesting as well, that people were so critical of uh, Rachel Notley using it as a platform, because in her initial speech as well, she made a few political comments, but nothing, uh, nothing that I thought was uh, was kind of inappropriate and and then she responded to reporters questions so with Dave. with talking points so she responded to reporters questions with very partisan talking points is the kind of thing that all of her ministers have been talking up over the last little while the thing that yeah you're right there has been a lot of pearl clutching about her using students as a political back prop to make attacks on the opposition however um credit to chuck rusnell uh for posting the link to it in the one twitter Check our, 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 our former Edmonton yeah. Journal colleague now with the yeah, CBC. Now with the CBC. I mean, it's something that anyone could have gone back in the files and looked up. The NDP was rabid in their attacks on Alison Redford for doing exactly the same thing. And this is, I get it's all politics, but it, it is frustrating to no end for the NDP when they're in opposition to um, attack the government for certain conduct and then do the same thing. And the NDP has been criticized this several times since they became government. There was issue about fundraisers that crossed ethical lines. Yeah. There were issues like it's nonstop that they keep doing things that they said the government shouldn't do. Yes, it's that's, much, it's that's much, much easier issue. to be virtuous in opposition oh, it, and, hold, it, and hold your hands above the mud. But and parties you know, always hold themselves to different standards yeah. than their yeah. opponents. But, no, but, yeah. but Dave's right. I mean, the hypocrisy is delicious. And, and the double hypocrisy, is, as Claire says, oh, you know, they were saying, oh, it's thanks to the NDP that these schools were built and no, funded. Right. No, yeah. not. These are these were yeah. The schools that had opened this week were all announced by the Tories, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I mean, Every most, single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, now you can argue that the Redford government didn't execute well on that file and that if you know nope. <laughs> uh, you know but, but i mean you know the, the redford government over announced and then took a while for these schools to get built i mean we've had three premiers since then uh but yeah for the ndp to take credit for schools as though they had magically in the last 18 months made them grow out of seeds is is pretty funny but yeah, yeah i mean 
"'Twas ever thus that, you know, <laughs> that, you know, I, I'm sure that when Lougheed took over from the Socreds and he cut the ribbon on something the Socreds had yeah. funded, he took the credit for that, too. And I'm pretty sure that Eberhardt took the credit for something that the United Farmers had funded. I mean, this is this is how it works. And the United Sad Farmers to took credit for stuff the liberals did. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but why is it inappropriate uh, for children i think these kids were in grade six i've seen politicians make very political statements in front of kids who are as young as kindergarten right. if the media is there the media is invited to ask questions which are naturally going to be political because we're you know we're spicy um then what what's inappropriate about it I don't know, we should ask Brian Mason, who well, no, was critical of <laughs> Alison Redford for doing it a couple no, but, years ago. But I think it yeah. is I think it is inappropriate. I mean, I remember Redford dragging a school group when she was announcing funding for Edmonton's LRT. You know, and the, the poor kids, like, I think they, they'd been dragooned from City Hall School down in the in, in the tunnel so that they could be the backdrop. I mean, it had nothing it had nothing to do with schools. Right. But kids kids make a good backdrop. I mean, they did this when the uh, the Stelmat government announced that they were going to build the Royal Alberta Museum downtown, and they brought all of these school kids to emcee the event and to, I mean, they were there as, as a distraction. You know, as a parent, it really bothered me when my daughter was in elementary school and Jean Swazdeski came to her school and all of them got used as a backdrop. I think Swazdeski must have been education minister mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it I, I don't like it. I don't like it when any party does it. I mean, because the kids are there to learn. I mean, I suppose the kids are learning an important lesson about about realpolitik. Mm. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't send my kid to school to be a backdrop for a government photo op, whoever the government is. Uh, but it's but- not just government. So some of the things I have covered before, since I go to lots of school events, or even if, if we send a photographer, is corporations, right? I mean, I've seen uh, corporate sponsors where, you know, every kid that shows up at the event to plant the garden that was sponsored by a bank is wearing a t-shirt with the bank's logo on it. So where do we draw the line? Well, I hate that too. I mean, I was the mom who made them stop bringing Ronald McDonald to my daughter's elementary school to teach them traffic safety. Sorry, all you kids who were looking forward to your French fry coupon. But, you know, I mean, I... Can't the police do that? I, I don't... The traffic patrol? And shouldn't the police be doing that? Yeah. I, mean, I, just, I don't like it when our kids get pimped out for political or corporate... Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's, not we, that's not why we send them to school. On the other hand, am I happy that there are new schools? Am I happy that uh, kids in the suburbs actually have a place to go to school? I am. So I guess, you know, if pimpage is the cost of, <laughs> <laughs> of, doing, of doing business, but it shouldn't be. I'm not a parent, so but I can understand where you're coming from, Paula. But I also just think that... Um, you know, it was an adorable backdrop, first of all, for that school announcement. But I think, yeah, I mean, it was really an event for the media. People weren't really asking about the opening of the new school. That wasn't the point. Everyone wanted a media availability with the premier. So, I mean, in an ideal world, it shouldn't have happened that way. So do it outside. I mean, this the other thing. Why do they have to sit behind where the premier is? Oh, and they're so if bored. Only, if they're only so if bored. to be in the photo. Like, <laughs> right. if you want to have an announcement, a pep rally or whatever, an assembly... You don't need kids sitting behind the politician if the they want to. But they let are the kids see the, almost every single well, one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's I, I was going to say I'm sure it's interesting for children to like meet politicians that um, not particularly. But, well, no, but I was going to say that if that was really part of the point, then it should be at an assembly where they actually kind of speak on a level that makes sense to the children, not not during a media availability where you know the kids are just sit there sitting there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I would like to command all the principals out there 
I'm sure they are out there who have the backbone when they're asked to say, I'm really sorry, um, we're spending that whole day in a lockdown discussing infectious diseases. (laughs) 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 On the the same hand, I'm really happy that they let me in to look at some of the new schools and talk to some of the people. You know, I went to Ivor Dent earlier this week, which is a really interesting new school in Edmonton. It's not a, you know, spanking new suburban one. It is an kind of like an inner city school that also includes a lot of interesting social services and health services for kids. Yeah, I mean, that's school. up in Abbotsfield, Rundle, and that's a really high needs part of the city. And so I'm really excited that, you know, the, the new schools aren't just going in the, you know, upper middle class suburbs, but this is a school district that really deserved that kind of support. And so they amalgamated three older crappy falling down schools and <laughs> uh, and then right sized this one so that it's you know the, the correct size for the enrollment and I'm very excited that those kids got a great school named after you know a socially progressive mayor who I think would have been very happy to know that his name was going on that door mm-hmm. yeah so let's talk about the education act slash school ask <laughs> slash what the heck is going on I here. was hoping if we just talked long enough we could avoid this topic. I'm really sorry uh okay so I got this notice this week that uh, the education minister, David Egan, was going to make some comments uh, to school trustees starting consultations about the future of the School Act. And I got super confused because um, thus far the talk has been, well, there was this Education Act that was approved in 2012. It was the third iteration of that thing. So the consultations for that started in 2009 under the PCs. Three years later, finally approved it in this late night early morning session and then the government at the time spent two years writing regulations for this new education act which is supposed to replace the school act and then the pcs never proclaimed it uh for a variety of reasons different you know internal pc wrangling and different priorities when they changed premiers and then they got kicked out of office and so what David Egan has been saying so far is we will go, I'm going to go around the province and talk to people about the Education Act and I'm hearing from school boards there's parts of it they like, parts of it they don't like. My understanding is that he he could take it back and amend it and pass it as is but now there's this meeting in Red Deer on Wednesday where four or five people got up and talked about the School Act and how they were going to improve it and nobody said the words Education Act. In the entire half hour. So I'm like... Uh, and so Janet thought to herself, what? that's strange. That's peculiar. So so he, he's not... Um, the education minister is not tossing aside the education act. He's saying it is still hypothetically possible he could proclaim it. Um, but for now, what they're doing is talking about amending the school act. And didn't like he also going on say here? that? Didn't he also say when he's amending the school act that would include kind of more protections for LGBTQ students? Well, which isn't yeah. an initial education <laughs> okay. act. So uh, sometimes I wish we could just broadcast our actual the audio of our interviews with <laughs> with, with ministers. I was like, hey, so you told the Calgary Herald a couple weeks ago that you were looking at some some further protections because you're uh, you're playing nice approach, your let's work together approach with some school boards and some independent schools isn't going so smoothly, isn't coming turning out like you'd like. Um, so he had, had hinted that yes, maybe he might resolve this through legislation. So I asked him, I said, are you going to address this in legislation? Well, every student deserves a safe and protective environment. I probably asked him this question three times that devolved into me going, yes or no, into the phone. And he was like, 
kind of laughed and it just said every student deserves a safer bar <laughs> so i got nowhere um so i don't know if it will or not if if it is he's playing his cards very close to his chest but i feel like my whole life is passing before my eyes like i mean how many years of my life did i spend covering the debate over the education how many Act? years of your life did you spend covering the debate over well, the education a Act? lot if you know i mean if the consultation started in 2009 i mean this was something that hancock was part of luke Kazak was part of I me mean, i can't remember the number of education ministers but let this be a lesson to governments right i mean the tories proclaim your ledge ragged the puck on this <laughs> Right, I mean, I mean, I guess in the expectation that they would be the government forever and always, and they didn't have to have any. They weren't in any hurry. <laughs> but you know, if you don't actually, you don't actually proclaim your legislation, you can't really complain if your successor government and oh wait, there might be one, uh, doesn't proclaim your leftover stuff that you never got round to doing. Mm-hmm. But I just, I mean, I my heart bleeds for all the bureaucrats and parents and principals and teachers who were part of the consultation uh i mean their kids have graduated in high school and gone off to university now uh and 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 you know to think that that may all be uh an expensive spirit and a waste of shame is it is quite frustrating but um I mean, I have to sort of doff my hat to David Egan if he would just like to take the whole thing and go, yeah, you know what we're just gonna we're just gonna to make a few amendments to the school act and and have done with but what oh what a colossal waste of of public resources and emotional energy but would amending the school act um would it actually do enough like do you need a new piece of legislation in order to address the shortfalls because i know it was things like changing the age that kids could drop out and that kind of thing that's what I was confused about when I was learning about the difference yeah, between the two acts. Like, do you have to choose one or the other? Is there not a way to like marry all the best pieces and just? That's what he's. It? That's what what Mr. Egan is saying. He wants to do. He's. <laughs> I didn't put it this way in my in my story, but he's sort of salvaging the Education Act for parts. Right. He's looking. <laughs> he's looking for. He, and he said, like, we're going to focus like a laser. We're going to choose the parts that are that are the best parts of that act and put them into the school act. And you know, some some school districts uh, or school boards found that they they did not like the proposed Education Act. Uh, some of the things they didn't like was they did not like the proposal about uh, allowing 19 and 20 year olds to go to school for free. Not that that wouldn't be good for grad rates. The problem is they've already got school, high schools that are packed full of kids. And they say, if you're gonna do that, you gotta give us more money. So, and, and that I think was a fairly substantial piece of it. There's also, I'd read somewhere that the, the Education Act was supposed to give boards more power. And so I, I'm curious, I'm wondering if there is an underlying reason that he's, that the minister's not talking about some piece of the Education Act that is fairly, you know, not well known that he's trying to maybe leave aside. I guess we're going to have to crack it open and give it a read. It's 175 pages, Dave. (laughs) Weekend reading. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I read legislation to my child in bed, like in it. So to make my seven year old go to sleep, I read him uh, school board policies when they get updated and I read him legislation. So uh, we actually started reading the education act last night well done so maybe and it does work sorry guys i'm sure your legislation is great it's interesting to me so curran is now in grade two by the time he's graduated high school perhaps i'll have passed something (laughs) maybe yeah maybe i'll have finished reading it by the time he's in grade 12 let's switch gears to oil there was another development this week in alberta's seemingly eternal struggle to get its oil to refineries and to customers Calgary-based TransCanada announced Thursday it is seeking a 30-day suspension of its application for a $16 billion energy use pipeline. 
It's reviewing how the National Energy Board's decision to consider the project's contribution to upstream and downstream greenhouse gas emissions will impact costs. And the company also said that these regulatory changes could potentially kill the project entirely. So Dave, how what does this development mean for Alberta? Uh, it means you could also name the episode of the podcast the which one of us wants to talk about pipelines edition. <laughs> Dave <laughs> um, does. Dave does. I do apparently. No, uh, it's... Well, I was having a discussion this morning about uh, one of with one of our uh, Edmonton Sun columnists. I know I don't know if that's like saying Voldemort on here um, about fear his, of the name increases fear of the yes. thing itself. You were talking yeah. to Lorne Gunter. I was talking to Lorne Gunter about his Sunday. <laughs> he writes a Sunday column for national audiences in the in the Sun papers, and and he was pitching a couple of ideas. And I said, like, I'm not sure the interest necessarily in in the time being a regulatory issue on. Uh, energy east and for right now that's what it is they they're you know is it uh are they on a break or are they breaking up uh I, <laughs> <laughs> um that hat to, to to sarah o'donnell for that line as we were talking about this before we came <laughs> in here you know is is it a significant development that trans canada has asked for a suspension of his application i think so uh, but it's more what happens at the end of those 30 days? Do they say, yes, we're going to kill it, or no, we're going to go ahead with the the NEB's review? The issue of the pipeline as a whole is obviously a big issue for Alberta. Premier Notley's built up a lot of political capital in saying that, you know, we're going to work collaboratively with other provinces and the federal government and environmental groups, and we're going to build up our social license to get these uh, pipelines built. And Justin Trudeau is also uh, hanging a lot of uh, his political capital on getting pipeline access but this one hasn't received nearly as much attention lately as trans mountain no and that's that's true so and how like how big of a deal is it if we can we refine our oil somewhere else well i mean the thing about energy east is that it should be the a no-brainer it's it's an it, existing it, it, pipeline it, 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 just it, it should be the easiest sell because eastern canada i think a lot of people still don't know this eastern canada imports a lot of its uh, oil from either up from the states or from uh, actually across the Atlantic. Uh, and it's kind of loopy that in a country that is a net exporter of oil, that there are parts of the country that are importing. Plus, we can see with the, the impact of Hurricane Harvey in Texas and Louisiana, if you have all your refinery capacity in one part of North America, which happens to be subject to massive hurricanes, <laughs> and, is, disasters, is, yeah. you know, and, and in Houston's case is slowly sinking into the sea, uh, you know, if, if you want to have North American energy security, uh, you, can't, you can't concentrate everything in one spot. I mean, and this is, you see the vulnerability of Keystone XL, which in fact would end up um, down there. So having more, so having more points of of egress for your oil makes a lot of sense. And having more refining capacity in Canada is also something that, you know, a lot of people in Alberta have argued for um, that we, you know, there's a, there's a brand new uh, upgrader in Alberta, the Sturgeon upgrader, but to be able to refine more oil in Canada is seen as a positive. Um, but, it, but it has to be where the people are. I mean, there's no point in Edmonton having huge refinery capacity. 
if only the people are in only Ontario. A million people, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. So you, have, you have to be able to get yeah. the gasoline to where the, the people are who are driving the cars. And to, and to get it out east to... And Quebec but, is not, well, not, I can't speak for all of Quebec, but there has definitely been some resistance in Quebec. Like some of the, the hearings on this project ended up shutting down because yeah, of no, protests. Yeah, no, I know. And, right? there, and there are issues, meanwhile. You know, I, I, I fall back on some of the arguments that people like Brad Wall and, and federal conservatives would, would like to say. They're worried about the environmental impact of a pipeline while their biggest city was throwing sewage into the St. Lawrence. Like this is, it drives me crazy to hear other jurisdictions that have their own environmental issues say Alberta oil is bad. You know, but I mean, the there, future there is, of energy yeah. isn't the future of energy east looking quite bleak, regardless of what happens after this thirty days, though, because the National Energy Board is under, undergoing a complete overhaul anyway of its policies. Yeah, and that, so I could see why that they asked for a suspension in its application because the, what the NEB is doing is weighing whether having uh, Alberta oil shipped out east for refining would have a negative impact on Canada's greenhouse gas emissions upstream and downstream, and. And indirect greenhouse yeah. gas emissions. Yeah. yeah. And so of course it will. I mean, that's sort of the purpose of it. Uh, but isn't but that? The, but won't <laughs> importing a bunch of oil from overseas still have a negative impact on yep. our carbon yeah, gas cause, carbon cause emissions? Because unless we're all gonna burn candles and use dog sleds, and we're not, um, you know, this this is the ch- there is no foolproof way to transport oil to market that you can absolutely guarantee that not one drop of it will ever pollute the groundwater or the land. I mean, there was a lot of uh, buzz this week about a story um, about a scientist, I think at U of C, who's figured out the way to make like bitumen golf balls or cannonballs. So like they're like bitumen, like, I don't know, like ping, like, I don't know, we call them giant balls of bitumen. <laughs> uh, and then that you could transport them sort of in this solid ball form. People are like, oh, this is great. You just put them cool. on put them on trains out of Fort McMurray. Well, you can't make too many trains out of Fort McMurray because it's all muskeg and the lines sink yeah. into the And pipelines the are swamp. the safest way to transport yeah. oil. Like, we've known that through research for so long now. I mean, much much safer than tanking oil from Saudi Arabia to to, to this side of the Atlantic. So, And that's you know, not even to get, on, to get on the whole ethical oil train. And I'm not, I don't necessarily want to go there, but you are talking about giving money to regimes that have terrible human rights record and that is something else that we should consider is that there are groups that that talk about canadians wanting to buy ethically in general um but yet we still buy oil from places of the world that aren't as nice as canada yeah i mean ezra levant blesses buttons wasn't wrong about the ethical oil argument um, he wasn't uh so thing is at the end of the day, the company has to figure out whether it thinks it can make a profit. Um, building a pipeline is a huge economic risk. You have to go to the capital markets. You have to get the capital to build it. Um, you have to worry about what the construction process is going to be like, and building uh, through the you know through the Canadian Shield not so easy. So you know if Energy East doesn't go ahead, it'll be because the business people in Calgary made a calculation that the risk wasn't worth the reward. Mm-hmm. But now they also TransCanada also has Keystone to look at now again. So I feel like Energy East is going to take a backseat to that regardless. Well, to serve along with our barrel of good oil, we are going to have some good stuff from the gallery, which is our regular segment where we share stuff we like because we want to. Let's be real. Uh, 
Dave, what have you got for us? I've got two pieces, and I have a tendency to do this because I can't pick just one. One of them is one of our pieces. <laughs> David Staples has a has a really heartbreaking column in today's uh, journal, and you can find it online. It's about a, a local family whose uh, son, one of their sons, died of an opioid overdose. What I find especially tragic is the fact that they had finally been able to get him into uh, treatment. Um, it was a remote location, and he was in town for... Uh, three-day break to see family and he decided while he was in town not to go looking for more opioids but he decided to buy some cocaine um, and he died of a carfentanil overdose because there was uh, carfentanil in the cocaine. It was laced. It was laced cocaine uh. and it's a just a, a it's a very well written by David it's a really it's a really sad read. The other piece uh, a friend of mine shared on Facebook this morning and it's a really interesting story it's written by a sociologist but more as though the sociologist told it to uh, a journalist who finessed it a little bit um <laughs> as we do in chicago magazine and it's about this the 18 months this sociologist spent with uh, gang members of one gang in chicago and it's about the uh the culture of the group and uh it's called drill rap it's rap music that's used as beefing between warring gangs in chicago it's a very very interesting read about some of these gang members and their concerns about life and their depression and drug use and uh, I found it especially interesting. This gang didn't really make any money from selling drugs because they like to get high too much. <laughs> and so they tried to make money off the rap game, but they also had like weird groupies who would give them money and clothes. And say, it's a really interesting read. And I'll send you the link. It's in my 18 months with a Chicago gang. Cool. Claire? Um, I'm going to recommend a podcast, which I often do because I listen to Podcasts. so many of them um, walking around. Um, and it's a podcast that actually came out in June. There's a, almost a full season out, but um, it's basically every couple of weeks. It's called Ear Hustle. And it's... That is a great name. Yeah, it's yeah, honestly <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts I've ever listened to. It's produced um, out of San Quentin Prison in the U.S., um, produced by prisoners. And it's all about uh, their lives inside inside prison. What's it like? And um, yeah, San Quentin has been kind of a notorious... Uh, prison throughout history uh, so it's a really interesting really interesting podcast the latest episode is called the boom boom room and it's about <laughs> conjugal visits <laughs> i love it i'm inserting myself to recommend a piece from postscript magazine which i actually think might be a week or two old but i thought it was a really interesting longish read it's called the new war on birth control how the christian right is co-opting the women's rights movement to fight contraceptives in africa i think actually claire would be really interested in this it sounds I'm like it's up to your read alley. that today yeah <laughs> it's it's not the the subhead sounds a little bit biased there but i promise you the article is and it's a very interesting look at some of the political and monetary forces that are influencing who has access to what kinds of birth control in africa and uh, such a touchy issue and really interesting look at women's health issue there. Paula! And really, and, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, never mind. Really interesting <laughs> look at women's health issue there. I, I like it when people say my name like that. It's very exciting. Um, so I'm going to recommend something closer to home. Our colleague Elise Stolte over at City Hall has been doing some fantastic reporting of late, um, digging into FOIPs and getting access to information that... Uh, that frankly, she's got two battles. One is to get the access to the information, and the other is then to somehow make it uh, understandable for the readers. Uh, and she fought to get information about just what the new LRT line is going to mean for traffic congestion in the south and southeast, uh, where I do not live. Uh, but where if I did live, I, 
where if I did live, I would be keenly concerned and interested about the potential bottlenecks and, and the, the seeming philosophy that if we just make driving unpleasant enough, everybody will stop. Uh, so, you know, and I say this as somebody who's a huge advocate of LRT and who can't wait for the rest of the line to get to my house. That was a very Lauren Gunter thing, like you to say, that, that if they make it driving unpopular enough that we will stop doing it. Or but, like, but, but that does actually seem to be, I mean, some of the people that you talk to, at least from the city, that seems to be pretty much what they're, what they're saying, which is not a way to build public support for LRT. And yeah. I say this as somebody who's a passionate advocate for LRT, mm-hmm. you have to make it part of the solution, not you don't design it on purpose to make driving impossible so that people get mad and stop driving. You're supposed to use it to make everything flow more smoothly and to build public support so that people will indeed take it. Anyway, this is a very long way of saying that Elise has been doing some great, great reporting on this and uh, with videos and graphics and, and, and making it understandable. And so since she's done all this hard work for you, you should enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elise, you rock. We love you. And that's it for this week. (laughs) Thank you so much to Claire, Dave, and Paula for joining us this week. And thank you to Janet who stepped in at the last minute while Miss Miss Emma (laughs) is in Guatemala making earthquakes happen. I know. Um, Well, she's enjoying herself immensely by the way. She has a thunderous presence. Yes. Yes. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) You can hear previous episodes of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the Edmonton Journal's SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. So subscribe and the Press Gallery will be there for you when the episode is done. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week on the Press Gallery.